Hallo meine Feed, ist das so schön, das da? Have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? In Scotland now, they're injecting people with the COVID. Aye, you want proof, do ya? Here's all the proof that you need. <laughs> Hello Lisa, it's Deborah Kinnaird. Just to give you a quick phone message, letting you know that Jessie had her second COVID injection yesterday here and she's been fine. Thank you. So there you have it on good authority, they're injecting people with the COVID, eh? And we'll get up to the tooth of the matter, step by step, bit by bit, piece by little piece, So, um, yes, now, today we're going to be looking at the vaccine. Today we're going to be looking at uh, New Zealand, oh, lucky New Zealanders, mm, lovely, lovely. And today we're going to be looking at the impeachment, the second impeachment of the old... Trump. And we also have a very special uh, new section about the paranormal. Yeah. And after this episode, all other paranormal content will be at the end of, you know, the outro music, Sigurus. But this is a launch, you know, episode for the old paranormal there's a amazing amount of fucking nut jobs not all of them are um conmen in fact i'm not covering any conmen there's probably loads and loads of conmen in the paranormal sphere as you know james randy will testify and what's his name uh pen you know pen uh pen from pen and teller oh is it teller no no it's pen isn't it yeah uh, Penn Gillette, you know, and James Randi in the kind of world of magicians, there's quite a strong component of people um, trying to debunk uh, people connected to the paranormal. But a lot of the thing that I'm going to be looking at is all verified. It's, you know, me, you know. And my parents, by the way, were paranormal investigators. So I had quite a lot of that kind of, you know, the foundation upon which I uh, look at anything is a kind of, you know, investigator, researcher basis. So no motherfucker's going to slip through my net, all right? You don't worry about that. If I talk to you about it, then you can take it to the bank that the aliens are here. (laughs) Right, anyway, um, that's later. Little fucking thing. It's taking over already. They're taking over! Anyway, oh, also, the other quick thing to mention... Is um is the last lost lost season six is uh, at the end. So if you are listeners, nobody fucking listens. But if you are one of the few people that listen, then season six is a good season. So yeah. Anyway, on with the show. Have you ever seen the sunshine? No, not pork. Sunshine. I didn't say pork. I know you've seen pork. Is that sunshine? So the impeachment of Donald Trump is in the Senate and we had three days of the House managers, as they're called, giving evidence and it was compelling stuff, absolutely brilliantly put together, um, spiced up by lots of footage nobody had ever seen before from uh, very well sourced um, you know stuff from the crowds but also the you know blockbuster stuff were the um, video the the CCTV cameras the video Um, and you know what's going to happen well it looks like uh, it's going to go down as a kind of historic uh, case against Donald Trump But because of the way that the Republicans don't really know how to deal with Trump, it looks as if not not enough of them are going to vote to impeach him. But here's a little taster of the closing arguments given by the House managers against Donald Trump. So this is to impeach Trump. You may remember at the outset of this trial, And I told you you'd hear three phrases over and over and over again. The big lie that the election had been stolen, 
stop the steal and never concede, and fight like hell to stop that steal. You heard those phrases throughout the course of this trial, video after video, statement after statement, telling his supporters that they should be patriots to fight hard to stop the steal. And on that day, that day, where did he direct the crowd's ire? He directed them here, to Congress. He quite literally, at one part of that speech, pointed at us. He told them to fight like hell, and if you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. He told them, quote is on the screen, when you catch somebody in a fraud, you're allowed to go by very different rules. His message was crystal clear. And it was understood immediately, instantly, by his followers. And we don't have to guess. We don't have to guess as to how they reacted. We can look at how people reacted to what he said. You saw them. And you saw the violence. It's pretty simple. He said it. And they did it. You heard Manager Cicilline describe reports. The president was delighted, enthusiastic, confused that others didn't share his excitement as he watched the attack unfold on TV. He cared more about pressing his efforts to overturn the election than he did about saving lives, our lives. So the Democrats need 17 Republican senators to uh, vote with them uh, in order to impeach Trump. It doesn't look as if it's going to happen as I record this. It's not totally out of um, you know, the realms of possibility, you know, but as I record this, it doesn't look as if they're going to happen. It's going to happen. The line coming out of the Republicans is that they're basically they're trying to uh, have their cake and eat it. The line is, uh, you know, there's no question that the president was absolutely, you know, behaving abhorrently and absolutely sickeningly. But, you know, he's an ex-president. And so it's really against the Constitution to impeach an ex-president. Now, that question has been settled in terms of they voted for this on the first day. And they voted, um, you know, because the, the Democrats have got the, um, the majority with um, uh, the, the Kamala Harris as the president of the Senate being the kind of, you know, the, the person that breaks the dead, deadlock, the 51st senator. They voted, um, I think they got uh, six um, Republicans to vote on the basis that it was constitutional to go ahead with the impeachment. But that means that there's like, you know, the vast majority of uh, Republicans thought it wasn't constitutional. And so, you know, they voted against the idea of the impeachment because they thought it wasn't constitutional a couple of days ago. So in a way, OK, logically, then they're not going to just change their mind just because they lost the vote. You know what I mean? And they're not changing their mind. They're saying, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're totally with you, because, of course, the majority of the public in the United States think that he should be impeached, you know. And the problem is that the um, Republicans have got is they don't actually want to, you know, alienate the, the, the public, you know? So they're trying to say, oh yeah, we totally agree that Trump acted like a fucking arsehole, you know? But unfortunately, it's unconstitutional. Even though the vote says that it is constitutional, you can impeach somebody after they've left office. And there's reasons, like there's precedent, for at least a senator to be impeached after he's left office. And of course, we know that they wanted to get it into the Senate before, like, you know, whilst at least get the ball rolling, whilst uh, he was still in office. But he did this impeachable, 
Act on the 6th of January. Yep. The House um, voted that he had, in, that he was uh, in breach of impeach, or whatever the phrase is, in breach of impeach. <laughs> oh, no, not in breach of impeach. In, um, yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, you know, the couple of, like, what, what was that, a week later or two weeks later, but within, like, before the 20th, then the 20th came along, Biden comes over, like, you know. So, obviously, they're trying to just kind of get, a, say, well, there's this technical thing in the way, which means that, unfortunately, as much as we'd love to, unfortunately, we can't vote for the impeachment, unfortunately. Obviously, the reason is that they don't quite, they're not quite sure about what to do in terms of Trump being being Trump, because no Republican candidate for president uh, came even close to the amount of votes Trump got, 75 million votes uh, in November. So that's a massive, you know, windfall of votes and potentially enough to win a presidency with the, well, I mean, without doubt enough to win every other presidential race apart from the one where Biden got more than 75. He got 81 million votes, you know, but these are massive numbers. And so there's no real clear question as to whether, you know, what Trump did in terms of the vast majority of the stuff he did, which turned off 81 million people to the tune of voting against him, yeah, it's still not that clear in the GOP's mind whether it's bad enough to turn off 71 million, even the impeachment bollocks, yeah? And, of course, like, we know that things like this in terms of, um, you know, the disunity of the country, things break down in party lines. And so Trump is still a political force, whether we like it or not, whether we think it's logical or reasonable or not, unfortunately, he is. And there's too many Republicans still now who are saying, well, you know, we're not quite sure about, like we have, it's only just left office for Christ's sake, you know? So they want to just get back to business as usual. They want this impeachment to go away and they don't want to kind of cause the, the kind of massive rupture in their party right now um, to basically kind of impeach their last president. It was only president a couple of days ago, you know what I mean? So it's not going to happen. I mean, you know, we have never know, and everyone's going on about it depends on McConnell. But I think that it's quite clear that McConnell isn't going to, um, if you like, kind of go against the grain of the vast majority of his of his colleagues. Now I might be wrong, and you know, we ne- we never know. We know that six um, Republicans, Republican senators, said that it was. Uh, constitutional for the impeachment to go ahead so probably that you know the the six people that are that are kind of going to go on the idea that you know he should be impeached maybe more than maybe a few more than six but probably nowhere near 17 you know and they need 17 at least so then it comes down to what happens there well we've got the the evidence is uh, there in front of us. There is a chance that uh, federal, federally they might pursue it. Biden's Justice Department might pursue this. But I think it's a very, very small chance. I don't think it's really on Biden's, um, you know, kind of list of things to do, list of priorities. And I think it's actually easier for him not to do that but to give the signal to state departments to go, and this is what I would do if I was Biden, not that I am, and not that he's listened to me, but what I, if you want to kind of give this idea of unity, then don't go after your like, political opponent like a couple of weeks later, do you know what I mean? But what you will do behind the scenes, what I would definitely do is, yeah, yeah, come on, state department, what do you need? Like, we've got to fucking nail this guy we got to get all of his family in prison and hopefully him himself in prison. So let's chase down every fucking crime on a state level. And because it's a state level, you know, I'll give you all the help and support that you need as the president behind the scenes. But because it's a state level, then, um, 
you know, it's not a federal level, so it's not this th- thing of I'm going after my political opponent, you know. And um, it's easy for the GOP to say, oh, well, it's a good job that we're kind of like sticking to the like the kind of ideals of America, whereby we're not like one of these fucking, you know, shit places that just goes after this. We're not like fucking Russia, are we? No, we're not like Russia who go after their political opponents. No, no, no. I mean, of course, you know, if if you can't get impeached for inciting insurrection, what the hell can you get impeached for? Uh, like, it's crazy. So that's how I think that's going to go down. We'll see in a couple of... Well, quite soon, actually, maybe over the weekend. We'll see what happens. But I think, and most people think, that he's not going to get impeached. Why am I playing that, you might ask? Well, it's a very good question, and here's your answer. I have been uh, very interested the last couple of days. I've been deep diving uh, into the uh, new territory for me, totally new territory, and I found it really interesting because it uh, there are lots of fascinating characters that I'm going to introduce you to in the next couple of uh, weeks in the world of... The paranormal. <laughs> and so we're going to begin with this incredible um, uh, interview that a credible uh, 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 eyewitness account from a very credible source. His name is Commander David Fravor. And he saw uh, what is described as the Tic Tac UFO. It's one of the three videos that the Pentagon released. The Pentagon themselves released these videos or they had them kind of declassified and did a, a um, you know, a press uh, briefing about it or like a press release about it. Having, for the, they were leaked and they stayed on the internet uh, for a few years actually. But this, but they realized, okay, let's just declassify this and confirm that this is actual, you know, this isn't fake footage. So the footage is, was kind of around for a couple of years. And then it, when the Pentagon confirmed that it wasn't fake, it then became a big story. This was a couple of years ago. It became a big story. So if you Google search, I don't know, like Pentagon Tic Tac UFO footage or something like that, you'll be able to see the video I'm talking about. And now I'm going to play you an, ex- an extract from this, that one of the, the the commander of the squad that went out, there were two planes went out. He was the commander of the whole squad, more than two planes in the squad. I don't know how many, but more than two. And he also was the pilot of one of the planes. And he actually saw this tic tac, as it's called, because it looks like a tic tac, tic tac UFO with his own eyes. And he's going to be describing it in a podcast that you can listen to if you like, which is a very good podcast about his whole career. And you can tell, like, it's immediately, the, like, he is, uh, like, well, he's retired now and he's come out now saying that this is, you know, the Pentagon released the footage of the thing and I saw it. So what happened is that he was instructed to go out and work out what these anomalous um, radar pings were that had been there for a couple of weeks, actually. He went out, he saw this thing, he came back to the ship, he reported it, and he said to his, you know, the people, the, there was someone else in his plane, and then there was another plane that was, like, you know, just above him, because he went down to chase the fucking UFO. <laughs> um, and his friends in the other plane, he said to all of them, listen, we're going to catch some shit, is the way he put it, for this. But, you know, we're going to have to report it. They, they told um, they told them, well, this is what we saw. Like, you know, you asked us to investigate. This is what we found. And one of his, another guy said, right, I'm going to go out with my um, navigator and, and, and get footage. So the footage that the Pentagon released was a couple of hours later, exactly the same tic-tac, 
but not exactly the same sighting, if you see what I mean, of, from David Favors, because it was a couple of hours later. So the, the, I'll put a little link to this podcast, actually. He's done a couple of podcasts. Joe Rogan's really good interview as well. But this guy, I think his name is Lex Friedman. He goes into more detail about the uh, David Favors uh, eyewitness account. Okay, so that's the one that I'll link. And in the future, so t- today for the last time, it's the lost season look back with spoilers. And that's so season six is the last episode. That's uh, last season. So that's today's content at the end of the episode. I'm going to drop these at the end of each episode from next week onwards, these paranormal blips. Okay. But I've got a question for you in every, every episode I'm going to ask you a question. And if you want to speculate, yeah, speculate fucking wildly, baby. Email me at socialdistancepodcast at gmail.com. Okay. And this is the question, right? I'm going to play you. Actually, I'll play you the thing and then I'll uh, ask the question. It makes a bit more sense, doesn't it? So here's David Fravor on an interview he gave to this guy, Lex um, Fridman. And and then I'll ask the question. So here he is. Well, we look, there's no waves, there's no wind, there's no white caps, and we look down and we see white water. So if you put a, if you put a piece of land, a sea mount below the surface, like you know, even 20 feet below the surface, it's big enough. As the waves come in, you know, waves have height and length. When they come in, that's what happens on the shore. When a wave comes in, it hits and then it starts to collapse and it pushes the wave height up because it can't go anymore and then it and breaks crashes, up the top and yeah. you get. And that's where you get the white. So what happens is at sea, when you get a sea mount, you'll see stuff come in, the wave will crash and you'll get white water. You can go out when it's high tide in any one of the coasts, you can go out here off of Boston and go, hey, at low tide, I can see those rocks, and at high tide, I can't see the rocks are covered, but there will be white water around those rocks. You'll be able to tell there's something underneath the surface. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's what it was. We see, we don't see an object because there's all kinds of, oh, they saw this, they saw another craft below the wave. We didn't see anything below the water. We just saw white water. But the white water, and I like to shape it, you can say it was a cross. I say it's about the size of a 737. So it looks like if you took a 737, put it about 15, 20 feet below the water, so the waves breaking over the top and you're going to get white water where the plane is at, you'd see this, this kind of shape. So it looks like a cross. So as we're looking down off the right side, the backseater in the other airplane, Jim, says, this is that talking in partials again. He says, hey, Skipper, do you? And that's about what he gets out of his mouth. And I go, what the hell is that? In a nice do you place. see that essentially is what he's So saying? we see the white water and that's what draws our eyes down. Otherwise, we'd have never seen it. So we see this, this I would white have loved water. to see the look on your face when you see that. Like, and then we what? see this little white tic-tac because we're about 20,000 feet above it. And it's doing – it's going basically north-south and then east-west, north-south. And it's, it's abrupt. It's very abrupt. So it's not – uh, like a helicopter, if a helicopter's going sideways and it goes once, it's going sideways left and it goes right. What it'll do is it'll go. It's got a speed. It slows down because there's inertia. Yeah. And it stops and then it goes back the other way. This thing's not. It's like left, right, left, right with no. So moving in ways that doesn't doesn't feel into. Anyway, he goes on to then talk about the tic tac, the actual seeing the tic tac craft. But my question is. What was under the water? So to recap, he's basically saying it's the size of a 737. I don't know what that is, but some fucking plane. About 15 to 20 feet under the water. Not so much, not so close to the surface of the water that they can actually see the thing, but not so underneath that it doesn't cause what he's calling white water, which is, you can imagine what that is, yeah? Like if something gets to the surface of the water, then obviously it kind of changes the way that the water on the surface reacts to it, yeah? So it creates like a little kind of, you know, waves basically. So he describes it as a cross shape. So my question is, what do you think that is? Is it some kind of mothership, for instance? Was the uh, the Tic Tac kind of docking with it? Are they hidden? He goes on to just say later, like Friedman, who sounds a lot like some fucking stoner, but he's actually a good interviewer, right? He's no Mrs. Merton, you know, but he's pretty good interviewer. And he says, well, you know, just speculating here, do you think it's possible to hide a craft under the water? And uh, Fravor says, well, two thirds of the world is water and loads of the oceans are not 
like we know this, they're not kind of being explored or whatever at all, you know? So it's the perfect fucking place, boy. <laughs> that is a quote. Anyway, uh, all of this paranormal bollocks is going to be preceded by that beautiful Ghosts Busters tune. But apart from now, the launch section is all going to be post-credits or post, not credits, but post-outro, post-cigaros. Um, but yeah, if you've got a question or, or not a question, if you've got an answer, if you've got speculation, uh, about what you think was under the water, then please email socialdistancerpodcast at gmail.com. So Jacinda Ardern was, uh, did a little bit of a, what was it, Instagram or something, little video, minute and a half video of her at a barbecue, which scarily enough, the people like doing the sausages were her bloody like cabinet. I mean, how terrifying. Imagine the British equivalent to that, where you go to some fucking barbecue in like a government barbecue in Hyde Park. <laughs> and, you know, Matt Hancock is doing the sausages. Sausage Johnson obviously would be doing the sausages, you know. Matt Hancock would be there with the fucking chicken drumsticks and pretty Patel would be there making a salad or something you wouldn't eat any of the food you would not eat any of the food would you no you wouldn't no but Jacinda it gives a good example of the vast difference between there's a couple of places in the world and you know New Zealand is one of them they're having rock concerts if you can call them rock concerts with those dodgy New Zealand music makers and you've got like you know so basically crowds like outdoor festivals you know you've got people hanging around you've got people going to school you've got people with their businesses open and you don't have COVID-19 whereas in Britain like we've got to really think about where we're going in in Britain so on Monday which is the 15th they will have successfully got um, that first four groups um, vaccinated, or at least the offer would have got out to um, everyone in those in those first four groups, which is a massive achievement. They did more than three million um, last week, three million vaccines in a week. So, you know, fair play. That is a massive achievement. And the idea is that by May, everyone um, uh, above the age of 50, 50 and above, will be vaccinated. So if that happens, uh, as well as the, you know, kind of 70s and above that have basically been vaccinated now, and those like me who are extremely clinically vulnerable, then that's half of the country vaccinated before May. So that's really good. So what we can see now is because there's a vitamin D component to this, as I keep fucking saying, and not just me, but Dr. John Campbell talks about this as well, and there's, you know, report after report and... Um, you know, uh, study after study shows it. That means that when it gets sunnier, it's better. There's going to be less virus around because it's sunnier. Going to be less virus around because the R is under one. Now we know now everywhere the R is under one. And there's going to be less virus around because if you have vaccinated against it, you've got like initial studies show that you've got about a 65% um, less chance of passing it on okay so it does that question of transmission it does the initial studies are showing that it does have an effect on transmission which is fantastic news but it doesn't mean that we have to stop anything that we're doing especially before we get vaccinated okay and even after we get vaccinated so three weeks after your second shot if and when you're lucky enough to get one of these things, it doesn't mean you take off the mask necessarily. It definitely doesn't mean that you stop social distancing. Your kind of work um, relationship to work and all the rest of it, you know, will uh, dictate exactly how you work around others, okay? But it's not 100%. What it does, there's a good chance mathematically there's a very good very very strong chance that the vaccine will stop you from dying 
okay? Like I was saying last week, that is a game changer for somebody that's been existentially crisied for the last uh, year, you know, more or less. Um, but And it stops you from getting severely ill. And more and more now, there's um, drugs like every day, like, you know, we're hearing about the preventative asthma pump drug. I think it's the beige-coloured drug, whatever. I don't know what's in that. What's the difference between that and the blue one? Is it blue, the other asthma pump colour? But the beige one, the preventative one, as it's known, that apparently is uh, combats COVID-19. There's like a couple of uh, new drugs have been announced just over the last couple of days that are can be used in hospitals to combat the worst effects of COVID-19. So that also is going to, you know, have a good clear um, dent in the number of people that get severely ill and the number of people that die. But of course, there is still, like, it is still possible, even after you're vaccined up, that you'll get COVID-19 and that you'll die. The chances of that are tiny, but, uh, you know, it, 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 you can't, it's, it's, it's not 100%. The vaccines aren't 100%. So it isn't a shield that is going to protect everyone. And there's lots of different reasons, you know, for that. And also we know that there's plenty of people that aren't going to get it because they're allergic or because they've got their own, you know, blood. When I say plenty of people, I mean, there's a proportion, quite a small proportion of the population, but still a proportion of people that aren't going to be vaccinated and of course, these vaccinations at the moment are for under 18s as well. So children aren't going to be vaccinated. Yep. So one way or the other, even with the R um, below zero, uh, below zero, that'd be nice, below one. And, you know, all of these preventative measures that people are taking and the vaccine, like widely distributed, widely kind of in the community, and all of the stuff that is happening in hospitals, which are saving people from severe illness and death, the, you know, COVID-19 is still going to be a threat. OK, and then it comes down to this question of how much of a threat are we willing to kind of live with, if you like, or kind of like live alongside into the future? Like basically, how much are we going to allow um, COVID-19 to be a part of our lives, for the, probably for the rest of our lives. There's no real reason why it will disappear. Definitely not under this government, because they don't have a zero COVID um, strategy. They never have wanted to eliminate COVID-19. They've never tried to eliminate COVID-19. In fact, you could argue the opposite. You could argue that at the moment when they were close to eliminating it from the UK, they did that fucking eat me out and help me out routine where 10% or 10, what was it? 10 to 15% of the cases over the summer were linked to that. And you think, well, fucking that's a good way of stoking the flames, isn't it? You pricks. So uh, Chris Whitty, a couple of weeks ago, talked about uh, the average um, deaths in the UK from the flu is 17,000 people. It doesn't make the headlines and it doesn't cripple the NHS. You know, the NHS can cope with that number of people dying, most of them in hospital, um, from the flu, yeah? And so Witty mentioned this and he said, you know, so around about 17,000, 20,000 deaths a year from COVID-19, you know, politically and medically, that's acceptable. Acceptable in that politically it doesn't really make any headlines. You know, it does, certainly doesn't for the flu. So it's this kind of, you know, problem. Obviously, we know that we have the flu jab every year and people are very clear about, you know, take the fucking flu jab. <laughs> and the number of people that are getting the flu jab over the last couple of years, not to, not this, not this uh, winter, which has been unprecedented rollout of the flu jab, but even in the last few years, They've been trying to get the flu jab into more people than, than like, you know, how it was 10 years ago, for instance, yeah? And it will be the same for COVID-19. People will say, take your booster, take your next, like, um, uh, bit of the vaccine, like your next kind of shot of the vaccine in order to be protected for when COVID-19 becomes worse. And that's in the kind of, in the summer month, in, in the winter months. 
Now, there's a couple of asterisks to this. So what that means is that, you know, going forward, as they say, as old Dominic Raab would say, we can expect at least 20,000 deaths in the UK every year from COVID-19. And basically, we can expect that the government isn't really going to be too unhappy about it or... You know, they're not going to do lockdown over that. They're not going to do anything over that. Schools are going to be open. There'll be obvious advice for people like me. And I'll have to have a fucking mask on my face probably most of the time. Apart from if I'm around friends who I'm absolutely certain don't have COVID-19, you know. But at the same time, at that point, you probably will know that, like, seasonably, there might be like times coming into the winter where it does you know, not spike, but get a little bit like, you know, tiny little community spikes or whatever. And you start thinking, well, it's getting a bit tasty again. So like, you know, be careful when you're around people. But I imagine that there'll be a kind of like a comfortability, if you like, whereby you start to trust a small group of being around a small group of people. And you trust that they are being very, very careful when they're not around people that they can kind of verify their movements for, like, for instance, at work, you know. So if you're at work, you might have to wear a mask and you might have to social distance for quite a long time. And then you can probably kind of ease off that kind of thing when you're with a small group of people, like the group of six, for instance, idea. Um, But even then, like it might be that social distancing within the group of six still has to happen, you know. Um, and, and then we've got a couple of... So, and that will go on for quite a while, like probably years, yeah? And then, but we've got a couple of asterisks to this. Now, asterisk number one is new variants. And we don't quite know exactly how new variants react to the, uh, to the vaccines. That in itself isn't like a massive problem, but it does mean that if they have a new variant that doesn't like the vaccine doesn't do much to it means that you've got 30 days to make a new variant and get it into the community or at least sorry what i mean is that it takes 30 days to make a new a, a new vaccine and then get that vaccine into the people that need to be protected the most which of course so you c- could potentially have you know local restrictions put in place if things pop up okay probably not under this government because they want to keep things open as much as possible and they really want this to be the last um national lockdown without a doubt yeah but that kind of thing like a new variant obviously that doesn't um that the vaccines don't touch or of course that's the kind of thing that they are going to put restrictions in before they can kind of like make safe the people that need to be made safe the most And then the other thing is schools, and schools is a massive thing. It's estimated that schools bump the um, R value up by 0.5%. So that means, at the moment, it's just under 1. It's it's, uh, 0.7 to 0.9 across the country. And that obviously, you know, varies from, from place to place. In the southwest, for instance, it's 0.7 to 0.9. Um, So that's dropping slowly, but it is dropping every day, but very, very slowly, you know, very slowly. And so just a couple of percent a day, you know. And so if it goes up by 0.5% when scores go back, then you've got to really get it to, well, obviously, like 0.4% to be clear of one when scores go back. And we've got a way to go to get it to, like it's 0.7 to 0.9%. Now, you need to get it to, you know, within that kind of range, 0.2 to 0.4, yeah? Because then you can do the fucking maths, can't you? Yeah. 0.4 and 0.5 is 0.9. So that's under one. So even when scores return, you're going to be under one. So, I mean, there'll still be breakouts, obviously. But what that means is that it's not going to be rising like um you know rising all the time and you can't do anything about it so that's a big big asterisk i mean that's the biggest asterisk really as we kind of look at it yeah um so so there we go so that's the kind of long-term uh thinking for the next couple of um you know months and probably next couple of years you know 
um, certainly in, in Europe and the United States. And so it is on all of us, like still, it's on all of us, even after we've had the bloody vaccine, to obviously kind of like be circumspect with all of this. Yeah, is that the right word? I think it is. Yeah. And, you know, just kind of like, unfortunately, we have to, even though it might sound mad doing this, like like saying this, even when it's very small in your community, there still is obviously a risk that you will get it. Yeah. Now, the good news is that for most of us, it's not a risk that will lead to death. And the amazing news for me is that I've got great confidence in the vaccine, you know, obviously. And when you get the call to get the vaccine, have the bloody vaccine, right? Um, so that's really good. But even with the vaccine, you know, we can't be complacent. We have to basically not let no fucker breathe on you. And like, just imagine that people that you don't know have got coronavirus and work on that basis, yeah? Hopefully the people that you do know don't have it and that you can be a bit more relaxed with them like in the next couple of months and, you know, into years, you know? Because it also is taking a big toll on... Uh, I mean, you know, we have never been busier. We work in education and the kids that we're supporting are really, like, feeling it. You know, everyone's feeling it. Like, we're a good couple of weeks into this lockdown in the UK and it like, you know, tensions are um, t tense. What happens like, you know, to tension? Does it get tenser? Yeah, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, we miss things that we t took for granted, you know? I really miss going to the cinema. I really miss going to galleries. I really miss seeing shows, like performances. I really miss like you know see my friends in a massive way you know I know that a lot of us do and I know that um, you know it feels tough it also doesn't help that the weather in Britain is absolutely fucking diabolical at the moment you know and so it feels really rough but the good news is that you know spring is going to be here soon and with and this is going to go down even with schools opening hopefully you know, they'll get their, they've got their shit together enough to not open schools too soon. I really hope they don't open schools too soon, yeah? Um, and we've probably, we've got about, what, three weeks until March the 8th, which is when they're thinking of open, well, n closer to four weeks, really, three and a half weeks until March the 8th, which is the date that they've got. So if, you know, R is below one now, then it looks like we're, we'll hopefully be in a good place for, um, you know, schools to open and it doesn't fuck everything up, basically. Um, but even when schools do open, there are a couple of game-changing situations on the way, which means that we can kind of relax a little bit. The vaccine, obviously, one of them, but also just the spring and the summer, you know. And we know what happened last summer in the UK and in, you know, the vast majority of Europe and in the United States, um, cases just plummeted. Cases plummeted. People are outside a lot, lot more, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I know it's dark and dismal and dreary January weather out there, or February now, is it February? Yes. Uh, but, you know, I've got a feeling that things are hopefully going to be looking up and up and up and up and up and up and up. <laughs> Episode 210, 210. Hope you enjoyed it. If you've got an answer to the Fravor question, give us an email, please. Social distance of podcast at gmail.com. Now, today we're going to be thinking about the gecko. Gecko. The gecko much maligned because of the Oliver Stone film, Gordon Gecko, with those Dickensian, um, you know, naming characters after the things that they want the audience to think about. But much maligned. They're beautiful, extraordinary lizard-type creatures, aren't they? The old gecko. So, one, two, three. Walk between the raindrops. Have a fantastic weekend, if it is the weekend. Take care of yourselves. Things are looking in the right direction, but we've got to be careful. And take care. And hopefully, things are going to be looking up, 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 up. See you later.
So this is the final of these little lost, um, you know, breakdowns. Spoiler alert, there's lots of spoilers here. If you're interested in listening to Lost, then please don't listen on. And we're looking at season six, lots and lots of answers. First of all, we get an idea of the backstory behind Jacob, who's the kind of leader of the island, who's very secretive and nobody ever sees him. And uh, Jacob's brother, who used to be a kind of normal, um, you know, mortal person, but through a series of convoluted events, turned into a smoke monster. (laughs) And then inhabited the body of, well, first of all, um, Jack's dad, who Jack was transporting um, the casket with his dad on the, like the coffin, with his dad in the coffin to uh, Los Angeles when the plane went down. So the old smoke monster jumped into the, you know, the old corpse and started walking around. Very mysteriously, it was quite unclear what was going on with Jack's dad. Um, But, you know, there's lots and lots of answers in this last season. And then, of course, when Locke's body's brought back, he jumps into Locke's body, starts moving around as Locke, fake Locke. And we get to find out this backstory. Basically, a long time ago, this heavily pregnant woman uh, kind of like came, I guess, from a a, um, shipwreck, came upon shore to the island and was murdered by C.J. Craig from um, from the West Wing. You know, uh, Alison Janney, you know her? Yeah, so she murdered uh, the, the mum uh, after she gave birth, obviously, and brought up the two little babies, these two boys, these brothers. And, you know, very biblical, this brotherhood rivalry. And the mother is kind of a bit insane. And essentially, it all comes down to um, uh, Jacob and his brother have got a kind of immortality, basically, but they cannot murder each other. Uh, whilst the kind of light in the uh, centre of the island, which gives it all of its power, uh, is kind of illuminated. Okay, so Jacob kind of goes through the light. Uh, sorry, not Jacob. Jacob's brother, who's always this unnamed character, goes through the light comes out the other side as the smoke monster, stays on the island for like hundreds of years. We don't quite know exactly how long. Thousands of years. Around about, I think it's like in the 1800s, Richard comes along from another shipwreck, which is the Black Rock, which is this old ship, this kind of, you know, hundreds of years old ship. Uh, Maybe it's a bit earlier. Maybe it's the 1700s. Not sure, 16 something maybe. But anyway, like hundreds of years ago, he comes along from Tenerife, so his name is Ricardo, and he uh, lands up on the old thing. And obviously, for some weird reason, people call him Richard. I mean, you know, who knows why? Of course, it doesn't really make sense that a, a um, you know, fucking island in the South Pacific is going to have loads of American speakers on it, like English speakers with American accents. And if he's called Ricardo when he lands on the island, why the fuck is he called Richard? Anyway, um, so Richard's hundreds of years old and he's been blessed essentially by uh, the old, you know, Jacob. So it comes down to this great big battle between, um, you know, Locke basically, or the kind of smoke monster in Locke and Jack. Uh, we work out that, um, surprise, surprise, old Jacob can be killed, but he just can't be killed by his brother. And Ben kills him in quite a surprising and brilliant moment. Ben kills him. The man, the uh, lock tells Ben, kill him, and basically says, I'm not sh- too sure why you're not chomping up the bit to kill this guy. And Ben does kill him. Ben also kills um, old, uh, what's his name? The old dude, Alan Dale's character, uh, which is very exciting, you know. So Ben's on a bit of a kind of kill rampage, killing all these massive characters. And um, uh, now towards the end, we've got this, uh, like, you know, kind of face-off between a few of the characters and, and Locke, and it comes down to this battle between Jack and Locke. 
And of course, because it's, you know, lost, Jack wins and Locke, Jack, we work out that old Desmond comes back because he's immune to the massive electromagnetic charge of the, uh, of the island. So he can just about, it kind of does him in a bit, but he can just about take the illuminated um, kind of pool away. And the way he does this is really clunky. And I don't know if it's genius or, well, actually it isn't genius. It is really clunky. They've got this pool of water. And if the water is filled with, like, you know, if it's a pool, then the light is kind of in the water. And that means that the island has got this kind of amazing power and energy. And if the water disappears from that pool, then basically the island collapses. It doesn't have any magic or energy about it at all. And it literally starts collapsing like into the sea, starts disintegrating. It starts to, you know, like rocks start to slip into the sea and all the rest of it. And um, how do they think, well, what's the best way of then going from this, you know, this state of magic to this state of everything collapsing and being destroyed? Oh, well, what about a plug? You know, like, you know, when you have a bath, you've got a, a plug in your bath. What about if someone just takes the plug out? I guess it's unbelievable. It's like the kind of thing that a four-year-old would come up with. And you think, oh, yeah, well, that's you can kind of understand it because four-year-olds understand plugs, you know. But you don't expect sophisticated writers, you know, with their beautiful fountain pens and uh, their gorgeous vellum. I think that's how it works in Hollywood, isn't it? Yeah. Um, to come up with such a clunky idea. But this is unbelievably, this is the idea, this is the absolute linchpin of Lost, you know? So to, pff, there are some really good ideas in Lost, but there's also some real stinkers. So you got old, poor old, poxy old uh, Scotsman Desmond, jumping into the fucking pool and lifting the, the plug out like it's a joke. And anyway, the water disappears, the island starts to collapse, the magic has gone, and uh, Jack can now kill Locke. So he does that, you know. Well, actually, what's the name? Turns up and does it, which is quite nice. Uh, this is a big spoiler alert, deep dive spoiler alert here. Um, what's the name? Uh, Kate turns up, shoots him in the chest, and shouts, I saved you a bullet. And he uh, fucking dies. So that's the end of Locke. Now, so the, the, the champs win, but they then realise that they need to put the, the lid, the, the plug back in. And in order to do that, there's a plane on its way out of the island, of, it, of course, you know. So everyone goes back to get the plane apart from Hurley, Ben and Jack. Jack jumps in there, does the, does the put the old plug back in. Water comes back, light comes back, the island is now magic. And then Jack hands over the powers that were imbued uh, into him by Jacob, because Jacob, when he was killed by Ben, he popped up again as a ghost. But unbelievably, he was only a ghost for like, you know, not long, like a couple of hours. He said, shit, like, we're going to get this shit going because... I'm going to be gone forever because my ashes are burning in this fire. How inconvenient is that, you know? So come on, drink up, Jack. Right now you're magic. Brilliant. And then Jack then jumps into the electromagnetic <laughs> magnetic pool and he's fucked after that, you know? And he then does the same thing to Hurley. So then Hurley becomes the protector of the island and, uh, you know, it's quite nice, you know, because Hurley is, you know, never really kind of been seen as a hero. And um, unfortunately, they come back to this trait of Hurley being mad and the, the whole um, other. So, so basically what happens with this kind of island timeline is that Jack uh, dies in basically the same place where he first arrives on the island and the first shot of the of the show is him opening his eye. Last shot of the show is him closing his eye. Beautiful mirror image there. Beautiful. And he dies. Just before he dies, he looks up and he sees the plane 
carrying his friends, uh, you know, Sawyer and, and uh, Kate and a few other people off of the island. Now, in a moment, you're going to hear some music, which is the last track of the last bit of the, the show, and it includes that plain sound effect. So that's what that plane is, okay? So if you listen to it, where's the fucking plane? Well, you've got the plane story now. Um, now, whilst all of this is going on, you've also got the kind of alternative world where... Um, Duncan, now this is the bit that I really, really like about this uh, about this season. Basically, throughout season six, um, Duncan, he, what's his name? Not Duncan. What's his name? Is it Duncan? Uh, the Scottish guy, Desmond. Desmond. Des- Desmond. Um, he basically rounds everyone up, and he has a near-death experience, and his near-death experience. Uh, remi- rem- like kind of triggers off his memory of being on the island, okay? And it's really good. I really, it's fantastic. He's like, oh my God, Penny! And he then rounds everyone up. He gets the manifest and uh, he rounds everyone up who was on the plane. And so they're kind of like living these kind of alternative versions of their lives, but they don't have any memory of the plane. And each of them, a couple of them have near-death experiences and a couple of them just kind of remember if they kind of come across the, the kind of significant other. For instance, Jack remembers everything when he sees uh, Kate, yeah? Uh, as an example, Kate remembers everything when she uh, had this massively significant experience of delivering, um, what's her name's baby on the island. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Charlie's um, girlfriend. I've forgotten her name now. But whatever her name is, the Australian woman. And and this happens again in the alternative world. And when that happens again, then, um, then you know, she thinks, oh, God, oh, that's, uh, my God, I remember the island now. Yeah? So all of these people remember the island, including, like, everyone's there, you know. And then at the end, they all basically kind of put... Um, Jack's dad, they they go to Jack's dad's funeral and Jack's dad is up there talking around like he knows it all. He's like, right, well, what it is is that basically you're in this kind of waiting area before you go on. They don't really specify it and they're very careful in a kind of, you know, 21st century way to not offend any religions. So it's a very odd church in that all of the religions... Uh, I mean, it's not a church. It's like it's a Hollywood set where the people, like the you know, producers, are very careful not to offend any religion. So all of the religions, the kind of iconography of all the religions, are displayed. Like, <laughs> like what kind of fucking church is this? But they're all displayed. Like you know, the the um, stained glass windows has got like you know everything on it. You know the crescent and the, you know, yin-yang and fucking whatever else. The (laughs) yin-yang. And um, anyway, yeah, so there we go. So that's it. But I do like the near-death experience thing. Uh, So quite a good, quite a good little thing. It actually is incredibly, like after six seasons, it is genuinely moving to see, because they do do a very good job. They do do a very good job of splicing together almost like a kind of like the best of you know when somebody gets booted off bloody the x factor or whatever it's like that here's your best bits or, or big brother like here's your best bits and then it's kind of like that but uh you know a, a, a lost version so they have these flashbacks and it's all like you know beautifully spliced together only it's like you know two seconds long but these incredibly like important character moments all spliced together yeah so that's good isn't it right. so pretty good season that's it now never going to speak about lost again probably never going to watch it again maybe i will with my boy if he's interested in you know 15 years time or whatever um but that's it for lost so here is a little tune and thank you ever so much for listening <laughs>